Hello, welcome to Cannon Fodder. This is a new podcast from the duo that brought you Dare Daniel, the infamous Dare Daniel. I'm film critic Daniel Barnes, host of Cannon Fodder, along with my good friend and fellow cinephile. I also know him as a comedy goddamn legend. His name's Corky McDonald. Hey, everyone. Corky McDonald, comedy legend here. To yes. let you know that Dare Daniel is going to return with new episodes in 2024. But until then, we hope you will come along with us on this new podcast journey, making our way through the most recent Sight and Sound Critics poll of the top films of all time. And if you only know us from the Dare Daniel podcast, this podcast is sort of the, the bizarro version of that show. Instead of getting tortured with the most unwatchable movies you can imagine, we'll be watching and or rewatching some of the most brilliant, accomplished inspiring and celebrated films of all time so what that means is that every episode we'll review one random selection from the most recent sight and sound critics poll as mentioned before if you aren't familiar with sight and sound it is a magazine published by the british film institute and it's been conducting polls of film critics programmers curators archivists and academics from around the world every 10 years to compile the list of the best films ever made. And at the end of each review, we'll decide if the film was a sound selection for the canon or if we thought it was a little slight. See the wordplay there? Slight, sound, sight, sound. If we both rate it as sound, the movie will be instantly inducted. Rubber stamped, womb, just whoosh, no tariffs, no nothing, inducted right into the official canon fodder canon. Corky, at the end of our last episode, our first episode, we randomly selected the movie that we'll review today. It's a 1932 experimental silent film from the very obscure Brazilian director and poet Mario Peixoto. And when we picked this movie last week, again, we're picking at random here. We've just got a big old list and we're just hitting them at random. It was a bit of a shock because neither of us had ever heard of this film. I, I consider myself pretty well-versed. <laughs> not, to, not to brag, but I consider no. myself pretty well-versed. Never heard of, like, not that I've never seen. Never heard of it. Didn't know it existed. Didn't know what the fuck it was. I mistakenly called it, the the the, the film is spelled L-I-M-I-T-E. It's a Brazilian film. I mistakenly called it Limite. Yeah. Limite, which is because my linguistic skills are limited. Um, but in my research, I watched Martin Scorsese's introduction of the film for his World Cinema Project. He referred to it as Limit. Okay. Ah. Greatest living filmmaker, that settles that. However, hang on, needle scratch. Brazilian director, not greatest filmmaker alive, but a pretty good filmmaker. Walter Salles, also founder of the Mario Peixoto Archives, wow. referred to the film as Limichi. Mm. So, Marty, baby, darling, yeah. sweetie, bubula, I love you. Let's let's do lunch, but I got to go with the Brazilian guy on this one. Yeah, let's just leave Lamite as my <laughs> French class nickname from high school, okay? I was known as Lamite, okay? Let's just leave that there. Just leave it there. Let it go. And Limichi sounds like something you put in your boba. <laughs> so how could a film that we've never heard of also be one of the the top films ever made? So it, it kind of goes back to some of the unique facets of this particular list that we're, that we're culling from, the sight and sound list. 
the people, the three things. So the people who, these are people who, uh, they're not fans. This isn't the AFI list. This isn't the, you know, People's Choice Awards. It's not the Golden Globes. These are people who have devoted their lives to the study of films. These are real academic types. It's also a really international list. There's also 24 critics who listed Brazil as one of their home countries were polled in this list. And third, it's not a ranked choice list, which means that there's no ranking. So being in first place versus 10th place has has no bearing on the list. You just need to make a list to get a point, basically. So you only really need to get on maybe 10 or 12 lists to get into the top 250. So this movie, Quirky, it's unknown to us, but it it was a legendary movie to generations of Brazilian directors, Brazilian critics. This is like, you go to Brazilian film school, this is first semester like this is first chapter of the textbook type stuff here is limite, limite, uh, limit or border when you translate it from Portuguese. And again, this was written, directed, edited, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, by Mario Peixoto when he was just twenty-two years old, and it was the only film he ever made. Holy shit! Just like whoosh, whammo. There you go. Babe Ruth just hit one homer and fucking retired. Uh, Peixoto was a member of the elite. He grew up in Europe, so he was exposed to a lot of early silent films, German expressionist lighting, uh, Russian editing, D.W. Griffith, and the early American silence. And he used those as an inspiration for this uniquely poetic take on cinema. The the inspiration for the film, Quirky, was a photograph by Andre Cortez that is one of the first and the last images we see in this film of two handcuffed hands that are s- sort of framing this woman's face um, that Peixoto sort of felt evoked the physical and the existential limitations, the limite, if you will, that he was going for in this film. It was shot May through October 1931. Numerous start, stops and starts is not, you know, this isn't Marvel. We get, this is a, a micro-budgeted little passion project with four people on the crew, four actors, plus Peixoto himself, shot in Mangaratiba, coastal village, about an hour outside Rio de Janeiro. In the 30s, it had a few public screenings, didn't make much of an impact, away it goes, but it slowly, it had very ardent followers. It slowly obtained this legendary quality. Orson Welles, when he was in Brazil to shoot It's All True, the the film was screened for him. It was often shown in Brazilian film societies along the works of Eisenstein and Pudovkin when film culture was still in its infancy. Peixoto carried the torch the rest of his life for this movie even creating a fake rave review from Sergei Eisenstein. But he never made another movie, never made another film. Some poetry, a novel, some unproduced screenplays, but never another movie. Print was permanently shelved in 1959 because it was just too too poor of a shape to even screen anymore. Confiscated by the military dictatorship's police force in 1966, retrieved again later that year, Long thought lost to time, but thanks to the diligent work of Brazilian film critics, the legend was kept alive. The movie was restored first in 1978 and then to its current form in 2010. So in a way, it's still like a young and fresh movie, even to like critical elitists, like the the people who are part of this sight and sound bowl. You know, like even then it's, it's 100 years old almost, but it's still a new movie in a lot of ways. In Brazil... It's a real big 
point that needs to be made. This movie is again legendary, legendary in the way that like Citizen Kane was legendary to people in the 1950s who were becoming part of film culture. It was a movie that no one no one could see. It just wasn't available. Long unavailable, but championed by some uh, some very ardent fans and critics. Finally, its reputation. It was voted number one on the Abre Cine, which is the Brazilian Film Critics Association list of the top 100 Brazilian films of all time. 2012, it had just kind of become widely available in the West. It received one vote in the Sight and Sound Critics Bowl, but in 2022, it cracked the top 250. Corky. Yeah. My man. Man of no limite, as far as I know. Mm. This man, he sees limite. He's like, I'm, I'm a pissing Calvin on your limite, bro. That's how, that's how my man does it. That's how my bro does it. The depth of my Portuguese might be my limite. Oh boy, the limite, the limite, limite. Shit, fuck. Limite. I know limite, and I know buscapet, and I know <laughs> <laughs> Corky, this yeah. story of of Limichi, mm-hmm. which I had no idea about, I had no no clue, didn't know anything about this movie in, uh, two weeks ago when we when we picked it, but now I I know a lot about it and I've seen it. You hear this story, you have all these like, it kind of evokes all these these stories from the West, you know, or from or from Europe and from America that we've heard of of these like wunderkind directors who like make an all timer with their first movie, like Chantal Ackerman with Sean Dillman, mm-hmm. which is like the, the current number one on the sight and sound list or Orson Welles with Citizen Kane, which was the number one for so long. You think of directors who, whose films were long thought lost for decades or who parts of the films were thought lost for decades, like Fritz Lang or Orson Welles. And then there were those great directors who true, whose true talents were never fully realized for some reason, like Sean Vigo F.W. Murnau or even Orson Welles. Mike, he's complicated. He's a complicated man. <laughs> Very Quirky, yeah. Limiche, does it live up to these not living legends? Is it, does it belong in the canon? What did you, how did you respond to Limiche? Did it test your Limiche's? Or did you feel that your love for the film was un Limiche? Well, considering this movie is almost 100 years old, and for a great portion of its existence was not available to people. It really did make me wonder about its inclusion and the reputation that it had. Cause like for film nerds and really kind of any kind of art nerd, music nerd, book nerd. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, using, I'm not using nerd as pejorative. No, no I'm no. using it as a term of endearment for people who really honor and, and care about something. You tell someone they can't have access to it it only builds its reputation sure. in, in that yeah. community. Oh, I have to see that. Have you heard of this? There, there's there only, it's so rare. I can't see it. And so the, it, the thought is that it must be amazing. It must be it, amazing. It must be. Yeah. So I did kind of wonder if it's kind of like a Robert Johnson situation, that great bluesman mm. whose music was lost for decades, refound in the late eighties. And it's good music. And it inspired a lot of people. But it won like, you know, awards because I felt more like critics wanted to clap themselves on the back for recognize the talent because it was just as good. Like you said, it's fresh. It's fresh. Was it so great? Um, So I I think there's, I wonder about that. 
it being almost a hundred mm -hmm. years old, I have to wonder about like, what can I really bring to the analysis of what it did for its time? You know, like mm -hmm. I can recognize the, the beauty of it. And I can see the things that are done like, like thinking, man, he had no editing software. He had no, uh, <laughs> Uh, right. CGI, but he's doing things to try yes. to make this kind of work. He's spinning the camera up and down. He's swinging back and forth. I think dissolves were about he's as inventing. Yes, he's a, he invented things to create certain effects. He invented tools to work like a crane. There's a uh, yeah. certain scenes. Oh, he's using telephone poles. Like had, those were probably for them technological marvels. And he's climbing up there to film on top of a telephone pole. Yes, yes, they're doing things to make it feel like a steady cam or to make yeah. it feel like all these other things that now are just the, the technology is so readily available, especially for big budget filmmakers. But yeah, so, it was. Uh, so thinking about it, I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling about uh, this because uh, all these thoughts were kind of going through my head. Um, I enjoyed myself. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a challenge. It's a challenging yeah, yeah, it is. film um, because it's two hours and it's no talking. Um, and for a modern audience, you know, you just, you're not built for that. You know, you have to, I, I had to, I had to challenge myself to, to. Oh, absolutely. Stay focused into it the whole time. Um, but there's so, there's so many like little wonderful things in it. Like there's a little bit where it's fun. A lot of people do a lot of walking in this movie and it just follows mm -hmm. this person walking and then it goes on and the, the woman drops out of the shot and it's still, it, kind of shooting a little bit of the Brazilian force. And then it's like, Oh fuck, we forgot about her. It goes back. Yeah. And she's like the straw leaning up against the gate, you know, just cause she's, she's reached her limit. Right. And it's just, it's little moments like that, that he's, he's kind of like, wouldn't that be a fun little thing? And it, I think it's truly speaks to his poetic nature, the director and writer. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The, the, the elevator pitch of this movie is, is pretty simple, right? Three people are adrift at sea in this small boat. One man, two women. They're out of water. They look very disheveled. They look near death. And one by one, they flash back. Okay, like this is this is this is a trope. Like we've seen this a lot of times. Like some sort of version of this of the how did we get here? Let's flash back to it kind of a thing. That tells you nothing about this movie. The how, the what, the when, the where, the why of any and everything is is utterly. It's not important. It's you got to get that out of your head. You know. And again, like you said, this is. It is challenging to us as as kind of modern viewers because we're we're sort of trained by movies nowadays to be like sort of half present. You know, this is not a movie. You're not going to get anything out of this by like having your phone out and right. and, and playing around on your phone. You know, <laughs> like you're not going to get it. And it was challenging, but I will say I've thought a lot about this movie over the last few days more than I've a lot of movies I I see and I like and I think are entertaining and are are very easy to watch. They just come and go, but this movie stuck around, you know? And I think, sure. again, it's it's part of that, like, that poetic storytelling. Like, what's important here is, again, not the, how did these people get here? And, like, the flashbacks don't explain, like, we see all these flashbacks, they don't explain shit, really. You know what I mean? Like, you get very, very oblique visions of what was their 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 issue, but really just, just glimpses. glimpses. Everything in in both the literal filmmaking sense and and the the storytelling narrative sense, everything is just sort of like 
a little off. The camera is always a little too close, too far away, too high, too low, too crooked, too... Something's off. Like, you can't see everything quite as clearly as you would like. It goes too close. It comes too far away. And that's the same with the story. Like, as you get more into it and more into, to okay, what actually happened, and none of it makes any sense because, again, it's this this poetic, very dream logic yeah. to the film, right? In the storytelling and in the camera. And dream logic, not in the sense of, like, I'm here, and I know why I'm here, but I'm just here, and then whatever I have in my hand is what I have, and then I'm here. yeah. And I don't have that thing. And some guy's there and I know he, he knows who I am, but I don't know who he is. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of <laughs> right. the nonsensical dream logic yeah. of like wherever I am is wherever I am. Whatever I have in my hand is what I have in my hand. Everyone knows why I'm there and I'm just there. I don't know. Like I, sure. like I know I'm supposed to be there, but I don't know why I'm supposed to be there. It's that kind of fucking dream logic. And that's why it's such an interesting film. Scorsese, he said it was not so much a story as a succession of moods and states of being. And that's also highlighted not just by like the visuals, but by the use of music. And apparently oh, yeah. the score is exactly as it was dictated to be by Peixoto, which it uses all of these classical composers, Debussy and Satie, Stravinsky, yeah. Prokofiev, all these um, people. Come, it creates just such an amazing um, mood of like, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you think of like uh, Tarantino, you know, like grabbing music from other movies and stuff like that, or like um, Scorsese playing like you know "Be My Baby" at the start of um, Mean Streets, and that's like that's what he was doing in well, 1932. I know, and it's so. There's even a, a brief moment in this movie where it's filming another movie. It's filming a Charlie Chaplin movie. Yes, and the adventure. Yes, it's move, filming a slapstick in this middle of this very not happy movie it's oh like you say or like scorsese says it's a series of moods but it's not happy people are have reached their limits they're defined by their limits they're trying desperately to break mm. out and then we see one of those limits and it's a man and i love this moment when it's, it's silent movies and someone in the in the room has to play the accordion to make the music to all these ha cackling laughing hysterical people and it keeps cutting back in this really nice over the shoulder shot of the guy just focused on playing the music for this merriment he's not a happy man not a happy he's man tortured no. and in hell but he's, just he's playing doing piano it. to a charlie chaplin movie with, with a laughing crowd and he is the most grim person in the world yeah and it's, it's uh, done and it's tilted up like it starts getting almost mm -hmm. terry gilliam like with these laughters these wild mouth laughing at Charlie Chaplin, which oh yeah, because it's the the Brazilian dentistry in in the 1930s <laughs> was like not super great. Like I think it's the maybe one of the best is here because he really Boonwell like kind of found the most grotesque um, people to uh, to to film. Yeah, and it felt like he was um, playing it as a grotesque. Like this, it, it really this should did. not be this funny. Yeah, and that's just those those kind of the moods that I'm talking about again, like. What we get from like what what the story is, okay, so there's three people and and kind of one by one, they go through their their stories. And we get a little bit. okay, so woman number one, she was in jail. She escaped from jail. So that 
It's probably about as much as we know about but her. But it's not told Woman, like we don't see her running away. There's no plan. It's just like she's locked up, then she's walking away. You don't even see her face. You know her by her shoes at first. No, there's. It's just again. It's very. It's shots of fingers. It's shots of they had uh, these dissolves. Is was is a big part of the the editing process um, for Peixoto, which is like this dissolves of the train wheel that come into the spinning wheel and to see yeah. like this part of her that you know longs for escape you know which is what the train uh, you know so it's just like really beautiful that russian style editing sure um, okay he's just he's taking all of his influences here and he's kind of like using his own sort of at this point probably unformed like first time ideas. you picked up a camera and it's, right? it's it's this it's it's amazing so yeah now woman number one's an escape prisoner woman number two she has some sort of an unhappy relationship that she's escaping and then this man number one he's like a guilt-ridden adulterer right? yeah like he, yeah. he's he's with a woman who's who's not his wife they're all just and they're all on this boat together right yeah, like they're see. all at sea and we don't know and like there's no real interactions on the boat that would really give us a clue as to like well what's the fucking dynamic between these yeah. people how they all get on a boat why are they all so wretched at yeah. this point like right. why is this man tattered clothes why are his clothes and tattered why are, why do they have no water why are they just in the middle of the ocean why do they have rations at all what happened and you don't get those answers no so mm-hmm. it's almost like is that just a metaphor is that the unifying metaphor? He just told us three different vignette stories. And the metaphor is that you're confined, you know, by your surrounding, by your circumstances, unless you choose to break free or endure them. Yes, exactly. I mean, because that's the only responses. thing we, the only thing we know is that these people are like held back or tortured by something. Right, like they've they've, some something they've all led very unhappy lives, and that got them here somehow to this horrible place and to an ending that ends up being quite quite terrible. Yeah, not happy. It's not a happy ending for anybody. Not a happy ending, despite the very exuberant (laughs) music that comes in as these like waves start crashing again and again against the rock. Imagine having this point of view at twenty (laughs) two. Like that's the story you want to tell. Like life is meaningless. Shit, you're bound by your limits, (laughs) and then you fucking die horribly. (laughs) Twenty two years old. Fucking nailed it, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now he would just try to make a Spider Man movie. Yeah. In the multiverse, yeah. Um, the visuals, quirky. Let's talk about some of sure. these visuals. I mean, he is like he's just doing everything he can with a camera, right? You know, it's, uh, Orson Welles. Yeah. When he started making movies, he talked about the the studio as being this like the best train set that a boy ever had, right? Sure. Like it's such an amazing toy. I've got these lights. I've got these cameras. I got all this equipment. I got all these people at my disposal. And and that area, you know, it's a studio kind of system, but. Peixota, while he doesn't have the resources that he, you know Wells had on Susan Kane or Magnus Anderson, he's has that freedom. He has that sense of like, I'm let's do this. Like, let's try have this. Do rushes for any studio. What if I move the camera in this completely insane way that no one's ever moved a camera like before? Right. Like, how would that go? You know, what and if I it, what if I put it on a uh, wall and put it as if the you know the wall is the floor, just for a shot for a while? What if I climb to the roof of this building and shoot on these terracotta tiles for a yeah bit. 
what if I climb to the top of these rocks the, and have the actors lean I out over them? Now at the very now, what if I'm on the ground and I'm shooting a conversation from you know completely uh, up from like an anti view conversation? Yeah. You know, I it's was just, amazed that there are some shots where it's like obviously they're standing on a boat rocking, right? Because it, it moves, and then there's others where you're they're surrounded by the water and it's absolutely still. And I'm like, how do they do this? Yeah, almost a hundred years ago, that was amazing. Yeah, amazing. And again, this is um, just a four-person crew, cinematographer Edgar Brazil. Uh, obviously, it was silent, so you didn't need uh, sound or anything, uh, recorders or anything like that. But uh, yeah, just uh, again, doing doing things kind of like, you know, homemade shit in their garage to be like, all right, this is, I want the camera to move down yeah. while this guy is walking like you would have a crane shot now where I want this, the camera to follow this person. Like you would have a steady cam shot yeah, slightly now, or like I want it to have this like handheld camera kind of feel, you know, that you would have, you know, so it's, he's, he's doing, doing things that are kind of way ahead of his time or that are so of his time. And, and he's, he's filtering it all through this, uh, a little bit about, you know, cause again, it's set in Brazil. It's, um, see, it's, I liked I liked a lot of the stuff that was like you would learn in film school, I think, of how mm. filming infrastructure, filming like the background. It would be B-roll for anything. But it's just like what makes this village run, what makes our society run. has nothing to do with the characters, but we're yeah. going to film some fishermen tying their nets. You know, Absolutely. We're yeah. going to have a long shot of all the boats coming in. Some of the most stunning shots in this movie are just shots of of the sea, of nature, of um, of, of the tools that she was using in a mm. factory of sewing, mm-hmm. which yes. audiences of that day would know exactly what those are. Certainly, you know, and it's just close to stuff. Of, this is what makes up my daily life. This is what has. This is what's tethering me. What's limiting me. Yeah, quirky. Do you have like a favorite shot, favorite sequence, favorite uh, scenes? Do you have uh, anything that really stands out to you from this movie? Well, there was one that I like where she's reading the newspaper after she escapes from prison. Well, the the one I already spoke about in the movie theater was, I think, my favorite. Mm-hmm. That's the one that really stuck with me. I love the juxtaposition of the Charlie Chaplin film, the hysterically laughing people, and then keep coming back to the guy providing the music and merriment who is not happy at all (laughs) but there's a a really cool thing that happens where she's standing she's reading the paper and she's wearing some clothes and it pans down to her shoes and that's how we know her for a while from the Mm -hmm. boat at the beginning to the prison and then it comes back up and now she's got different nylons on with a run in them and it pans up and she's reading about they're they're still looking for this escaped fugitive <laughs> and you see through her clothes, like in the shorthand is her f- shoes are messy running her nylons. She's, she's doing whatever she can to survive at that mm-hmm. time. Like I said, that's the shorthand yeah. of the movie. Right. Uh, so that one really stuck with me. There was another one that kind of reminded me, I think uh, Benini probably took it f- from something like this is the couple, the adulterous couple goes to on a little walk into a meadow they take off their shoes and, and they walk into the water off mm. camera, but it's a beautiful little twinkling lights on the water cuts back to their clothes, cuts back to the water. And now he's carrying her back out of the water. It's like that's shorthand for, for that time for what happened. You know, they banged. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like in life is beautiful. They go in the house and then it comes back out and they're running after a child, but it's the same right. shot, you know? 
Yeah. Well, it's actually the in that sequence it's instead of cutting he actually does these like whip pans yes right? like yeah did i say cut yeah i should say cut to the clothes and then he whips back to the water and he whips i mean there's just these really like powerful very bravura camera moves i i there were several sequences that stuck out to me there's um the sequence of uh, images um, on the beach where this man and a woman are walking on the beach. We're following them from behind. Then it dissolves because again, the dissolve is is like a big, uh, heavily leaning on the dissolves here. Dissolves to this image of just the footsteps, no people, and yeah. then it goes to dissolves into a close up of the hands clutching. There's also this scene on the cliff that with was amazing. woman number two where she's looking over this village this village and and we see the the waves like crashing under her and she's having this like kind of psychological breakdown which is signified by the camera work and it kind of goes from this like us seeing her to this sequence to this shot where the camera is like evoking her mood like it goes from like an objective shot to to a subjective shot um in a very interesting way but my favorite sequence was the cemetery Ah. sequence um, which is just the most powerful sequence of like cuts, camera moves, framing. We go in the gates, or we're out of the gates, we're in the gates, we're out of the gates. There's these big camera moves where the flower, the man at the grave, which is Mario Peixoto, going for it big time. Yeah, no doubt. Crispin Glover in the shit out of that fucking <laughs> role. It's just an amazing sequence. Um, but even, even in that sequence, you reminded me a close up on our adulterous man's hair. It billows in the wind, mm-hmm. and then we get a close up on the uh, Mario Pochetto's hair, who's sitting next to the grave, slicked down, very oiled. These are two different men at different states. Yes, one is well put together, keeping himself together; the other one's distraught, and his hair is loose and, and flowing in the breeze. Yes, and the the close ups on the hair. One's yes. one's part is flapping around, and one's just very tight. Yeah, no, it's a yeah, great observation. Yeah. Um, really fascinating movie, quirky. Anything else you want to say about Limichi? I also Limite. just as a, I guess maybe as I get older, that I'm f- more fascinated by things like, wow, what would audiences think at that time? Or mm. this is the way this looked at that time. What did telephone poles like that look to those people at that time? Like that's that's the internet for them, you know, and, and not even just the internet. That's AI or something, you know. That's like. Right a technology they didn't understand. Um, so I focus on those kind of things as well. And this movie, I really like the sequence of filming all just her needle, not just needle and thread, but the tape measure, the sewing scissors, um, the even the way they eat their rations on the boat. They have to pry open these boxes, you know, just to get one biscuit out of some packaging. And it's not just packaging, it's like sawdust. It's just amazing. Yeah. I, I like that kind of stuff. It's a hundred years old. It's it's as if in the nineteen thirties they were looking at they were able to look at something like a daguerreotype from the eighteen thirties or something. Uh, yeah, uh, no, absolutely, and that's why I I love silent films, but I can never watch a silent film when it's too close to bedtime because it's already too close to fucking a dream, and everyone's dead. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is creepy if you watch it too. Like it's gonna it's gonna infiltrate my dreams, but during the day. Early in the evening, fabulous. fabulous. I like that with animals. Like every animal that comes, I'm like that. That cat is dead, like long dead. <laughs> Not just people, <laughs> like the animals. I really focus on. 
Awesome. Limi Chi was our movie of the week. We hope you enjoyed our take on it. Quirky, now it's time for us to make a very big decision. We both liked Limi Chi. There's no doubt about that. But this is big. Do we induct it into the Canon Fodder official canon? At this point of the show, we ask ourselves was this selection? by the critics polled by Sight and Sound, a sound selection, or was it maybe a little slight? And if it was slight, what slighted movie, not in the Sight and Sound Top 250, would you put in its place? Quirky, I put the question to you. Sure. Slight or sound? I'm going to go sound on Limichi. I'm going to go sound. And I go do and this. sound. I wasn't, I wasn't thoroughly locked in on what I was going to do. But the way I had to decide it was, I vacillated between slight and sound because I didn't. Well, I didn't find it slight in, in the in the least. I just thought, am I going to recommend this to somebody? Am I going to recommend this to somebody mm. to say, hey, you should, you have to see this movie? Like I would with Rashomon. Like I would r- recommend sure. Rashomon to anybody. I would recommend Limichi to anybody who's a film fan, anybody who's a film nerd, like the word I used earlier. But then what decided it for me was that. Well, that's what this list is. This list is for mm. and by people who consider themselves devotees of the cinema and uh, the best of that. So for what it did at that time and the, the way it was an inspiration to generations of Brazilian fake filmmakers and then also, you know, filmmakers world round, Martin Scorsese, Orson Welles. Uh, yeah, I got to go with sound. Very good. Yeah. Quirky with the sound. I, I again, I, I really like this film. I've thought a lot about it in the last few days. But uh, 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 I have to put it in the slight category. And again, that doesn't mean bad. That doesn't mean not good. That doesn't mean not great. Because uh, this movie is certainly not bad. It's very good. And it's pretty great in a lot of ways. I appreciate Peixoto rewriting the rules of cinema that hadn't even been written yet. I appreciate the importance to Brazilian cinema, and I just appreciate it on the level of any groundbreaking, lyrical, powerful movie from any country and any era. But this isn't the Brazilian canon. It's not the sight and sound critics canon even. It's the Dan and Quirky canon, and that's a high bar for me. It, it needs to be an all-timer, and after this first, you know what? Give me another 10 years, Lamichi. Maybe with time I'll get there, but this was my first viewing, and there's Limichis to what I'm willing to do to give this a uh, sound rating. So do you I'm agree? gonna go with slight. I agree with everything you said. I agree with everything you said. Absolutely. I'm just um, to me, it needs to. No, but my question was: Would you recommend this to like somebody you like pe- people you know don't really? They're not film nerds. Yeah. No, I, I would say if you've never seen this film uh, and you, you have an interest in silent cinema and you have an interest in world cinema, I would absolutely recommend it to you. Uh, again, this isn't you know this isn't something you're gonna want to put out, pull out your phone and half watch while you know you're while you're folding laundry. You know what I mean? It's an art. It's a poetic film. Yeah, it's it's poetry. Like you, you don't just most people don't just sit down and read poetry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you really got to read. And I I would absolutely recommend this to people. That said, would I put it in my canon? No. So I wouldn't put it in our canon. Gotcha. 
So that's the bar with me. It's a complete. It's like the opposite bar from Dare Daniel. In Dare Daniel, the highest dare is reverse dare, which just means not terrible. Right. Like, hey, this isn't that bad. Like <laughs> here, it's is this an all timer type movie? And for me, again, maybe I'll get there. Give me, give me another ten years or so, Lamichi. Don't rush it. All right. You know me. I, I go slow. I go slow. I take my time, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So. What slighted movie would I put in its place, Corky? That is the question. I wanted to pick another Brazilian film. However, I am woefully ignorant on the subject. I feel shame. I would like you to feel shame. I would like all of our listeners to feel shame. And let's just all agree to watch more classic Brazilian cinema. Agreed, agreed, good. So then I thought, what what can I, what else can I do? I thought, okay, because we want these suggestions to have a have a connection to this movie. It, it, Again, it's if not Limichi, then this. So I thought, all right, how about a, another movie by a young wunderkind who never got to really fully realize his gift? As I said, Jean Vigo, maybe Zero for Conduct. I thought, how about another psychosexual exploration of three people adrift at sea? Maybe Roman Polanski's Knife in the Water? Hmm. But finally, I decided, how about another mostly and mostly silent film from roughly the same era as Limi Chi that was also dreamlike, albeit in a more provocative and satiric way, a movie that was also difficult to find in this country for decades, and a movie like Limi Chi that was also the target of right-wing stooges, but what great thing isn't. I'm talking about Louis Bunuel's 1930 surrealist comedy L'Age d'Or, conceived with his Unchin Andalo collaborator Salvador Dali, L'Age d'Or is, it, it's not that, it's a different kind of dreamlike <laughs> than, uh, than Limi Chi. It's more of the kind of potent, grotesque, absurd dreamlike. Uh, of course, it's Bunuel, so it's in service of a very scathing satire of bourgeois values in general, the Catholic Church in particular. And it's a real potent film. Corky, have you ever seen L'Age d'Or? I have not. So we're not getting a, a an agree on this one, but it's a fantastic movie if you've never seen it. There are just some absolutely, really fantastically hilarious, disturbing, very dark stuff going on in this movie, which is really about a man and a woman who want to consummate their relationship but cannot because of, you know, values. Limits. Such. Limichi, if mm. you will. Limit. So... Fantastic movie. If you love Louis Benwell and maybe you haven't seen some of his early stuff, Lajdu, or check it out. You can find it for free on YouTube, but it's also on Canopy, IndieFlix, FlixFling, Metrograph, GraphFling, FlixMetro, Indie, Canopy, and Metro, FlixFling, GraphFling, Fling. You can also rent it on your usual VOD services. Lemichi by Mario Peixoto, if you want to watch it. Uh, we both hi- highly recommend it. Yes, absolutely. Me Chi. There's no doubt about that. It is available to stream on the Criterion channel. So that's what we felt about Limi Chi. But tell us, what did you think about Limi Chi? Did you, you watch, watch Limi Chi? Did you watch it? And who do you like better, Mario or, or Limi Chi? <laughs> that's stupid. Very stupid. Stupid. If you did watch it, we'd love to hear your take. Hit us up on Facebook and Instagram at Dare Daniel Pod. Leave a comment at DareDaniel.com or just, you know, stop us in the street, pat us down for a wire, 
and then give us your honest take on Lemichi. Yeah. I mean, if you see me on the other side of the street, hey, you don't have time. Maybe just yell your opinion. Hey, your new podcast is garbage. Something like that. So, Quirky, we introduced last week and this week in our inaugural episodes the Cannon Fodder Canon, right? So, any movie that we review, do we agree that it was a sound pick? It goes right into the canon. Boom, rubber stamps, no tariffs, Hoot Smalley, fucking Teapot Dome, the whole fucking thing. Again, God damn it, Warren Harding. God damn it. It all is happening again. But it just goes right into our collective canon. And again, it's not a my canon. It's not a your canon. It's an our canon. We have the canon. And we're canonizing various films. At the end of our last episode, we canonized Rashomon. Mm-hmm. That was episode number one. Limichi, it came up a little short in this episode because I am a Philistine. See you in 10 years, Limichi. This is like the end of jujitsu. See you in ten years. Let me cheese. Like, goes back. Lebici's back in the wormhole. Like I'm gonna fucking kill you. But ten I, years. I was not known from 1930 to 1970. I can wait. <laughs> yeah, like act like I'm gonna fuck around. So, but we also wanted to kind of take some movies out of the running that are just so like familiar to us and that are so obvious to us and that we both agree are just are great movies. Um, so we wanted to kind of, this is sort of like our inaugural hall of fame class right? of, of the canon. We're canonizing 12 movies that we, we, we agree the sight and sound 250 agrees are great films that belong in the canon. There's no doubt about it. We went through all 264 films in the top 250. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Ties. We picked the, all the movies we put in our personal canon. We cross reference all this. What we came up with is 12 movies. And looking at this list, quirky, it's 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 a pretty vanilla film bro ish yeah. type of list. But I mean, there's a reason for that though. We are two cisgender straight white males born two months apart in the same city. It's not a rainbow coalition, quirky. <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever claimed that. We're just two friends. We're two friends. We're not trying to represent anyone except for ourselves. Unless the rainbow is just like pale and paler. That yeah, would be, that would be the colors. <laughs> we look like the clouds at the other ends of each of the rainbow. You took Skittles, you you've soaked them in vinegar to just get all of the all the color off, and now they're just this is the rainbow. This Taste is a the rainbow. rainbow. It's it's not much of a rainbow. I think this at least sets the tone. This says like this this is the type of quality of of a film that we're looking for, even if this isn't necessarily your type of film. But this is like, we're, we're looking for really, truly great movies here. So I'm just going to go through this. We don't need to really go into it real deep. Everyone's heard of these movies. In alphabetical order, please, please, my God, hold your applause until the very end. Here we go. Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola. Pretty good. Chinatown, Cannon. Citizen Kane, which was uh, on top of the sight and sound list from 1962, Cannon. 72, 82, 92, and 2002. Five-time number one movie. The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. We're entering those as separate films, not like in, two, I think it was 2002, when sight and sound tried to combine those Cannon. and say that they were one movie. Bullshit. Not okay, Cannon. sight and sound. Think you're, think you're better than me. Cannon. Goodfellas. That's our, our boy Martin Scorsese, greatest living filmmaker. Jaws, pretty good movie. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Raging Bull. There's our guy again. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Spielberg again. 
taxi driver, Marty. That's three for three. And let's get in 2001, A Space Odyssey by Mr. Stanley Kubrick. A pretty good list of 12 movies to add to Rashomon into our canon. We're seeding the jar. This is what you do, Quirky, when you're yeah. in the service industry. You don't, like, you have an empty tip jar. People think, oh, I'm not supposed to tip, right? Like, that gets into their head. Yeah. You seed the jar. You put in a few nickels. You put in a buck or two, really crumpled up style, like people would put it in there. You put in a, and then, uh, like a 20 and be like, you like can, a 20 you can just to be back. like, yeah, just like, oh, it, you know, if you're in one of those moods. Yeah. You know what I mean? Other people are doing it. You could too. <laughs> like, yes, feel, feel the, feel the breeze. Yeah. So, <laughs> that is my point. Yes. So we're seeding the jar, and we're hoping that more and more come in. Limichi, again. I'm a philistine. I'm a monster. History will judge me as wrong. I've said it again and again and again. But it just didn't make our collective canon. These twelve films and Rashomon did, and. Hopefully, fingers crossed, next week's movie will Corky. Yes. We're at that part of the show. We're at are that we part. at random numbers? We are at random number generator part of the podcast. I think it's everyone's favorite part of the podcast because oh boy. you really don't get to play along at home because you're like, I don't know, numbers. You say a number, you say a list. It's nonsense. Uh, so everyone loves it. So, Quirky, I've got my numbered letterbox list of sight and sound films. I've got my random number generator. I'm just going to click it. We're going to randomly generate a number, and that's going to be the movie that we review on our next episode. Oh, Everyone can play along I enough. love numbers. This is exciting stuff. Are you? I mean, last time I pulled Limichi. Could it be a one? Of, Could it I be didn't two? even know it was Limichi. I thought it was Limite. We've learned so much in the last two weeks. I love you guys. All right, here we go. Ready to generate a random number, and it is 91. Ooh, what on my list is 91. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Oh, snap. We were just talking about this dog. Louis Boonwell. We were just discussing the man. How about his 1962 classic film, The Exterminating Angel, a.k.a. L, a.k.a. L. Angel Exterminator. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Louis Bunuel. I picked Lodge Dior. And so this is, again, this is random. This is random shit. I swear, no thumb on the, no thumb on the scale for me. Quirky, The Exterminating Angel, 1962. After a lavish dinner party, the guests find themselves mysteriously unable to leave the room. Uh-oh. It did well with the sight and sound critics. Will it do well with me and Quirky? Well, you'll just have to tune in in two weeks to find out. It's available to watch on the Criterion channel if you have that service. Well worth it. You can also rent it on Google Play, YouTube, Amazon, Apple TV, etc., etc., etc. So we'll see you in two weeks. But in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook and Instagram for updates on this show and upcoming episodes of the Dare Daniel Podcast. Like and rate us on your favorite podcast app, please. If you're interested in donating to the show, go to daredaniel.com, find the donate button, or click support the show for cannon fodder. Boom, boom, boom. I'm Corky McDonald. And I'm Daniel Barnes saying until we meet again, save us a seat in the back row. Bye-bye.